I'm sure we've all heard it said that knowledge is power. Knowledge as information that is comprehended, understood, believed, and applied. Knowledge, information that is comprehended. You got to understand what you listen to, be able to comprehend what you're hearing. Then you have to understand it, believe it, and then apply it. And then power as the potential to effectively alter a situation. Hmm. Power, the potential to effectively alter a situation. Power, the capacity to do something. Therefore, knowledge is power because knowledge makes things possible. Now, it's interesting to note, however, that the statement knowledge is power is one of limitation. The statement that knowledge is power is one of limit, is limitation. Why? Because it says one's potential to do something is limited to their knowledge. One's potential to do something is limited to one's knowledge. And rightly so. Because in order to do something... First, you got to know how. It's impossible to be successful at doing anything without some knowledge of what you're doing. Although a lot of people try. This is why there are directions and instructions. There's a saying, when all else fails, read the directions. In other words, after you've been unsuccessful at doing it the way you think is right, after you've made a mess of things, try following the directions that will tell you exactly how to accomplish what you're trying to do. Hmm. This is the sole purpose of knowledge in the form of directions and instructions. To help minimize the potential for mistakes and maximize the potential for success. So what this tells us then is that the success or failure of everything we do is directly related to our knowledge and ability to follow the directions and or instructions contained in that knowledge. I hope that makes sense to you. Therefore, knowledge is power. Knowledge makes us success, makes success a real possibility. And it makes a, it makes it a success, makes it a possibility. Why? To the extent that we are willing to follow the instructions and directions that contained in the knowledge. I'll say that again. Knowledge makes success a real possibility to the extent that we are willing to follow the directions and instructions contained in that knowledge. So you can't have the, enjoy the success that the knowledge can provide for you if you don't have the knowledge. And you can't enjoy the success if you don't know it and if you don't apply it. Make sense? Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You need the word of God. It is profitable to you. The doctrine of God is profitable to you. 
and it will help you and, and will furnish you with all good works. In other words, it'll furnish you and give you the foundation for what you need for a successful life. So if you want to minimize your potential for error and maximize your potential for success, follow the true knowledge that can only be found where? In the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is profitable. The knowledge of God is true knowledge. The knowledge of God guarantees a bountiful return to everyone that applies it to their life. I say this all the time. Built into the word of God is a good life. Built into the word of God is a successful life. It doesn't mean that you may have problems. It doesn't mean that you may have to deal with the problems of other people. But if you follow the word of God, you will have a solid foundation and you will have a good and successful life. It's guaranteed. It's built in. The knowledge of God is the assurance of eternal life. Not only is the knowledge of God power, the knowledge of God is the power of God. Not only is the knowledge of God power, the knowledge of God is power. Hmm. Turn to 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. 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 Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How, Peter? Through the knowledge of God. Is that what it says? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, there it is again, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Is that what it says? So Peter's writing to the saints. Those who by faith receive the righteousness of God, how? Through belief in the knowledge of God. In this context, knowledge in the Greek is epignosis. Epignosis. E-P-I-G-N-O-S-I-S. Epignosis. E-P-I-G-N-O-S-I-S. It is knowledge in action. Knowledge in action. Epignosis is knowledge of God in which one participates. You're involved in it. This is consistent with our understanding of faith. It really is. Because we know in the context of this context, faith is knowledge, understanding, belief, and proactive participation. In other words, you have to receive the knowledge, you have to understand the knowledge, then you have to believe the knowledge, and then if you believe it, you will proactively participate in it. Proactively means I intentionally involve myself in doing the word of God. I involve myself intentionally. I am proactive about it. So by hearing, and, and this is exactly how we receive the righteousness of God our Savior. By hearing the epignosis of God. How can they hear without a preacher? How can he preach except they be sent? He's got to have the epignosis before he can give somebody else the epignosis. 
So by hearing the epignosis, understanding the epignosis of God, believing the epignosis of God, and proactively participating in the epignosis of God is how we were born of the water and born of the spirit. Someone who sat in somebody's church and they told you you need to repent because you're a sinner. They told you you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. Then you need to receive the indwelling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues. So you heard it, you understood it, you believed it, and you did it. And that's how you received the knowledge of God and got the first benefit of the knowledge of God. That was when you first got the benefit of the knowledge of God is when you got saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And it would not have happened unless you had heard the knowledge of God. Does that make sense to you? And not only is epignosis the knowledge of God in which one participates, when properly used, the epignosis of God transforms the mind. Romans 12 says, be ye transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. Well, our minds are renewed by receiving the knowledge of God. Our minds are renewed by understanding the knowledge of God. Our minds are renewed by believing the, the knowledge of God. Our minds are renewed by participating in the knowledge of God. Well, the epignosis of God is how the mind is transformed and renewed. And it is through this transformation and renewal that the mind now has the ability and the capacity to make effective use of the knowledge of God. I'll say that again. It is through this transformation and renewal of mind. This is how you receive the ability to do it. You can't have the ability to do the word of God unless he has given you the ability. That's why you need the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. You need the spirit of truth. It says he gives us up to do and to do his good pleasure. Well, you can't understand the word of God unless you have the understander in you. And the understander is the Holy Ghost. And then he gives you the word so you can understand it. So he gives you what you need to understand what he wants you to understand. So that's how the mind is renewed. You actually have the ability now and the capacity to use the word of God. And that's how you move from faith to faith, from faith to faith. How? You understand something about the word of God. So you apply it to your life and you, you realize it does work. So then you find out some more word of, of God and you apply that to your life. And, and, and it works and it just continues and goes on and on and on. And the more you understand the word of God, the more you believe the word of God, the more you live the word of God, the better off you will be. Yes. Yes. Mm, I hope that makes sense to you. Epignosis is the knowledge of God that makes successful living a real possibility. How? The epignosis of God enables us to be receptive to the leading and guidance of the Holy Ghost. You have to be receptive. You've got to hear his voice. And Jesus said it. Didn't he say? He says, my sheep, hear my voice. So he's going to make you receptive when he, when he wants to lead you and guide you. Now, you have the option not to listen. But he will lead you. And that's the knowledge of God. That's the knowledge of God in action. And then Peter says grace and peace are multiplied to those who participate in the epignosis of God. Grace and peace. The influence of the Holy Ghost is multiplied in you when you use it. And the more you use it, the more you, the more you have to use. And the more you have to use, the more you have to use. And it never, his, the grace of God is inexhaustible. You can't use it up. I hope you got that. And it says peace are multiplied to you. And peace is a, is, a, is a calmness of your mind. Peace says through the epignosis of God, grace and peace increase. 
It calms your mind. In other words, the more we know, understand, believe, and participate in the knowledge of God, the more we experience his peace. The more we involve ourselves in the word of God, the more we apply the word of God to our lives, the more peace we have. Sometimes we have peace and we don't understand it. Well, that's what it says. It's peace that passes all understanding. And the more we experience the grace and peace of the Holy Ghost in our lives and this process by which grace and peace increase in our lives is what is Peter says. It's according to his divine power. Divine is theos. T-H-E-O-S, which literally, which means literally divine power is God power. When they say divine power, it's God power. Thus, it is by and through the God power of the Holy Ghost that we receive all the things that pertain to life and godliness. Grace pertains to life and godliness. How? Because he invites, how do we get eternal life? How do we get everlasting life? We get it from the grace of God. And godliness. How can you live a godly life unless you have God in you? So grace is the influence of the Holy Ghost. And grace is an expression of God power. Grace pertains to life and godliness because it makes godly living possible. How? Through understanding and the practical application of the knowledge of God. God is an experience through his word. God is experienced through his word. In order to experience the power of God, you've got to know his word, you've got to believe his word, you've got to understand his word, and then you've got to apply his word to your life, and then you will experience him. The word of God is alive. Peace pertains to life and godliness. Peace is an expression of God power. Because along with grace comes peace. They come together. The influence of the Holy Ghost and he brings peace with him. Peace is mental quietness. Peace is freedom from emotional unrest. This makes sense because when you allow the knowledge of God to work in your lives, it will minimize your stress. When you allow the word of God to work in your life, it will minimize your stress. When we orchestrate our lives according to the knowledge of God, that means organize, make your plans, organize everything, organize your life, orchestrate your life according to and around the word of God. You are guaranteed to experience the peace that comes by the influence of his grace. Stressful situations. And there's a whole lot of them. Almost always come to disturb our peace. Bible study students. The knowledge of God says. Be careful. For nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let your request be made unto God. And the peace of God. Which passes all understanding. Shall keep your hearts and minds. Through Christ Jesus. Careful in this context comes from a word meaning to be troubled. Jesus told the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. And we know that the peace of God will guard our hearts from the torment of fear and protect our minds from the agitation of insecurity. Did you know that? Insecurity is an agitation. When you're feeling insecure, it agitates you. And it, may, it tries to take your peace. 
And so you get the torment of fear and you get the agitation of insecurity. Well, we know that peace is a tranquil state of mind arising from reconciliation with God and a sense of divine favor. And we said that in the midst of a situation that all you got to do is think of this part of the knowledge of God. I know that all things work together for my good because I am the called of God. I I love the Lord and I am the called according to his purpose. So it's going to work out for my good. It has to work out for my good because I believe the word of God. I live according to the word of God. I stand on the word of God. And I know that however it turns out, it's going to work out in my favor. It may not even turn out the way I want it to, but it will still turn out and work out for me in my favor because that's what he promised. All things work together for my good. He didn't say some things. He didn't say a few things. He said all things work together for my good. Why? Because I love him and I am the called according to his purpose. At times we find ourselves in situations with the potential to trouble us both emotionally and mentally. According to the knowledge of God, we don't have to allow a situation to trouble us. Through our knowledge of God, we know that we have peace with him. We have his favor. We have the influence of the Holy Ghost on our side. He's our advocate. And if we specifically apply this knowledge, that is to say, if through prayer and supplication, we involve the Lord in our situation and appeal to his authority not our authority, appeal to his authority, then according to his divine power, in the midst of this troubling situation, we will have, he will multiply our grace and multiply our peace and keep us from losing our minds. He won't let you lose your mind. He won't let you lose your mind, Sister Cooper. He won't. He will keep you in perfect peace because your mind is stayed on him. The knowledge of God says in all your ways, in all your ways, didn't say some of your ways, says in all your ways, in everything you do, acknowledge him and he will direct your path in everything. Acknowledge him. Uh, uh, Sister Richmond knows about acknowledging him, don't you, Sister Richmond? Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path, won't he, doesn't he? Yes, he does. In other words, if we truly believe that the knowledge of God is power, then we will use the power contained in the knowledge of God and our results will be peaceful. My peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth. My peace I give to you. And the peace I give you, the world can't take it away. No one can take my peace from you. Second Peter 1 3, he says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and divine virtue. Now, we know that grace and peace are multiplied to us through the knowledge of God. And it's according to God power that we receive grace and peace because they pertain to life and godliness. However, Peter says that through the knowledge of God, through the epignosis of God, we are called, we are invited to participate in glory and virtue, which also pertains to life and godliness. Glory. In this context, glory is doxa. D-O-X-A. Doxa. In this context, listen. Doxa is the inward personal 
excellence of Christ Jesus. Doxa, the inward, personal excellence of Christ Jesus. Thus, through the epignosis of God and the divine power of the Holy Ghost, we have the inward, personal excellence of Christ Jesus dwelling in our souls. Sister Glover, that's a beautiful thing. Through the knowledge of God and the divine power of the Holy Ghost, we have the inward, personal excellence of Christ Jesus dwelling in our souls. So the question is, what is this inward, personal excellence of Christ Jesus dwelling in our souls? What is it? 1 Corinthians 3.17. 1 Corinthians 3.17, Paul says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So the sanctified soul is the temple of God. The temple is a metaphor that, 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 that represents that which is permanent and everlasting. A temple is permanent and everlasting. So that, listen, the temple of the soul is where the inward personal excellence of Christ Jesus eternally dwells. Etern- he says, I'll never leave you. And I will never forsake you. I'll be there. I'll be there. I will be there. So through the epignosis of God, every soul that is born of the water and of the spirit has the eternal glory of Christ Jesus dwelling in them. And the Bible tells us that one day the glory that is in us shall be revealed. So you got you got latent glory in you right now, ready to be waiting to be revealed. Hmm. So we are the holy temple of God. Yes, we are the holy temple of God. Our our souls are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? That's that's Corinthians 6.19. Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In this context, body is not sarks. It is not the body of flesh, but suke, the body of the soul. Our souls have been purchased by the precious blood of Christ and his glory. His personal excellence dwells in us. And through the knowledge of him, we glorify him. We exemplify his personal excellence dwelling in us. How? How do we exemplify his personal excellence dwelling in us? How? By living a godly life. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jesus. Peter says that through the knowledge of him, not only has Christ invited us to have his personal excellence dwelling in us, he has called us to virtue. He's invited us to virtue. In the Greek, virtue is arate. A-R-E-E-A-R-E-T-E. Arate. A-R-E-T-E. That which gives worth. Virtue in the Greek is arate. A-R-E-T-E. That which gives worth. You see, our worth cannot be measured by the value and judgments of this world. Jesus says a man's life does not consist in the things he possesses. So our worth is determined by the arate of Christ dwelling in our holy temples. That's excellence. That's virtue. 
We are virtuous in our souls. We have the excellence of Christ dwelling in our souls. We have the value of God dwelling in our souls because that's the way we started out. Because God expired value out of himself and into that first human soul. That's why he died to save the soul. He didn't die to save the flesh. But the soul has an incalculable value. You can't put any value on the soul. Mm. So our worth is determined by the arate of Christ dwelling in our temples. By his virtue, we have value. By the divine power of the Holy Ghost, we have an immeasurable worth and value. Second Peter, Second Peter 1 Peter 1.4, he says, Whereby? The knowledge of God and all the, the, the before that in, in his uh, preceding statement. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. Is that what it says? Yes. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he says, through the knowledge of God, we are partakers. We participate in his exceeding great and precious promises. Through the knowledge of God, we know that we have received the great and precious promise of power. Through the knowledge of God, we know that we have received the exceeding great and precious promise of love. Through the knowledge of God, we know that we have received the exceeding great and precious promise of peace. Through the knowledge of God, we know that we have received the exceeding great and precious promise of joy. Through the knowledge of God, we know that we have received the exceeding great and promise, precious promise of holiness. Through the knowledge of God, we know that we have received the exceeding great and precious promise of righteousness. Through the knowledge of God, we know that we have received the exceeding great and precious promise of everlasting life. And if his exceeding great and precious promises were not enough, through the knowledge of God, we are partakers of the divine nature. Yes, yes, yes. He says the divine nature, which means there's only one. I hope you're getting something out of this. We know the divine pertains to God, means God, theos. Therefore, through the knowledge of God, we're partakers of God nature. In the Greek, nature is phusis. P-H-U-S-I-S. Pronounced phusis. P-H-U-S-I-S. Listen, it's inherent characteristic. Inherent characteristic. So through the knowledge of God, we have the nature of God. We have the inherent characteristic of Christ Jesus. If you have not my spirit, you're none of mine. But if Christ be in you, you are a new creature. Christ is in you. You now have his inherent characteristics. That's why you have the power to love someone that hates you. That's why you have power to be kind to someone that's being mean to you. That's why you have the power to love and care about others more than you care about yourself. Mm. Hmm. 
That takes some strength. That takes some serious God strength. We have the inherent characteristic of Christ Jesus dwelling in. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's the great and precious promise Peter's talking about. So by faith in Christ Jesus, we are the children of God. We've been baptized into Christ. We have received the indwelling of righteousness. We have put on the inherent characteristic of Christ Jesus. We're heirs and joint heirs with him. We have the inherent characteristic of eternal life with him. We have the inherent characteristic of Abraham's seed. We are heirs and partakers according to the divine promise. Therefore, through the knowledge of God and the divine power of God, we have the divine nature. We are truly, 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 absolutely the children of God. We are his offspring. We are born of God. And because we have the divine nature, he says we have escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. We have escaped. He says we have escaped. To escape is to break free from captivity. To escape is to break free from captivity. Lust is carnality, the inordinate desire of the flesh. But we have been broken free from the bondage of our flesh. We have been broken free from the bondage of carnality. Paul says, but I see a law in my members working against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So the captivity to the law of sin is in his body. The captivity to the law of sin in his body is the corruption that is in the world through lust that Peter is talking about. However, like Peter, Paul understood that through the divine nature, we are free from the bondage of lust and carnality. He says in Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the inherent characteristic of righteousness. Verse 4, he says, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh. We don't live according to the desires of our flesh, but we live according to the spirit, according to the divine nature that is in us. So we have the divine nature. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. We live not according to the nature of our flesh, but we live according to the nature of the spirit of righteousness. I was working on another message and I was thinking about that. 
that if we have the power to resist the carnality of our flesh, that means that when we do something that violates the word of God, especially giving into the desires of our flesh, we should feel conviction. We should feel convicted. We should feel really, really bad about it. But if we do it and we don't feel bad about it and we continue to do it, then do we really have what we say we have? Because, you know, the devil can make you think you're saved. The devil has a tongue. So if you continue to do something over and over again and you and you and 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 you don't feel any conviction then you don't have what you think you have. Now if you continue to do something over and over again and you really do have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost but you reject it your life is miserable. I was reading a commentary he says it's it's the, the disastrous, dreary and dangerous. So you can have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost and you can continue to violate the word of God and you are going to be miserable. Your life is going to be a mess. Your life is going to be a wreck and it's going to continue to be that way. It won't change and it'll get worse and worse and worse. He'll destroy the flesh to save the soul. But he says, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How can you continue to grieve the Holy Ghost when you know you're violating his word? How can you do that? He says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. If, he says. So the spirit of God dwells in us. If the spirit of God dwells in us, we have the inherent characteristic of righteousness. And we strive against sin. We strive against it because the Holy Ghost lets us know that what we're doing offends him and it grieves him. So through the knowledge of God, we have escaped. He has set us free from the bondage of sin. Now, I begin the message saying, making the statement that knowledge is power. That knowledge is power because knowledge makes things possible. Well, through the knowledge of God, all things are possible. The knowledge of God is a multiplier. He says grace and peace be multiplied. So the characteristics of God are exponential. Sister Lily, they're exponential characteristics. They go on and on and on and multiply. In other words, the knowledge of God is infinite possibilities. I didn't say are infinite possibilities. I said is infinite possibilities. Luke 18, 27, Jesus says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. <laughs> I was thinking about what Sister Raven told us. Man broke that into two words. I'm possible. Mark 10, 27, Jesus says, with men... It is impossible. Or should I say with men, it is I'm possible. No. With men, it is impossible. But not with God. 
For with God, all things are possible. And then, you know, I, 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 every now and then I think about those ridiculous statements that people make. They say God can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. No, God does not do the impossible. Why? Because all things are possible. But they make those silly statements. So through the knowledge of God, all things are possible. They, 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 you know, I was thinking about that passage of Scripture also. It says, casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself above the, against the knowledge of God. Because if they exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, it'll cause people not to want to apply the knowledge of God to their lives. And then they can't figure out why the word of God isn't working. Because you're not applying the word of God. You've been, uh, somebody's giving you their imagination and telling you what they imagine the word of God might be. That's imagination. Like a female angel with wings. That's imagination. Like Jesus is a, third, a second person of the Trinity. That's imagination. That's actually exalting itself against the knowledge of God. Because the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The knowledge of God is our lifeline. The knowledge of God is our strength. The knowledge of God is our peace. The knowledge of God is our joy. The knowledge of God is our contentment. Our knowledge of God is our hope in this hopeless world. The knowledge of God gives us strength of mind we need to cope with the things we have to cope with every day. And we have to do some serious coping. We have to do some serious trust in the word of God. We've got to have some serious faith in the word of God. But he said, I will be with him in trouble because he knows my name. He will call on me and I will answer him because he knows my name. A thousand shall fall at his side and ten thousand at his right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes will I behold and see the rewards of the wicked. He loves us. He cares about us. He protects us. He has sent his word to heal us and to deliver us from destruction. And we know he's coming. He's, he's, he's closer now to coming than he ever has been in history. Than ever before. He's closer now to, to, to us seeing him. That's going to be a great day. That's going to be a because we're ready. We are, we know we're ready. Why? Because according to the knowledge of God, we know we're ready. Through the knowledge of God, all things are possible. And listen, listen closely. The only limitation on the knowledge of God, the only limitation on the knowledge of God is not knowing it or hearing it and rejecting it. The only limitation on the knowledge of God is not knowing it or hearing it and rejecting it. 
So if you don't know it, you can't do what you don't know. But if you hear it and reject it, you're in a bad way. He says, if you reject me, I'll reject you. Yes. The only, only limitation on the knowledge of God, the only limitation on the knowledge of God is not knowing it or hearing it and rejecting it. The only limitation on the knowledge of God is not knowing it or hearing it and rejecting it. Got it? And so now, as Peter says to us, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this word. We are fortified when we hear your word. We are strengthened. We are encouraged. We love you, Lord. We love you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our souls, with all of our strength. We love you and we can't thank you and praise you enough for what you have given us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Anyone in need of prayer this morning? Anyone in need of prayer?